Greetings, cinephiles. Are you looking for a movie analysis podcast that stands above the rest? Then look no further than Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters. We analyze good movies, we analyze bad movies, and yes, we also analyze the in-betweens of the world of cinema. So if you like what you hear, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And yes, my friends, we are 420 friendly. So when you listen to us, smoke smoke it if you've got got it. it. And now... Here's a new episode of Collateral Gaming. The show starts right now. I'm Ashley Chancellor. I'm Bo Maddox. And this is Collateral Gaming Season 5. Woo! Welcome to Collateral Gaming, the only video game podcast that matters, where we focus on good games, bad games, and everything else in between in the world of gaming. We are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast, so smoke it if you've got it, my friends. Smoke it if you've got it. Uh, here with us today, once again, Bo Maddox from Collateral Cinema. Uh, he's going to be taking a much bigger role this season, by the way. Go ahead, Bo. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be uh, on quite a few of especially the retro gaming episodes because, you know, that's kind of my bailiwick. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here, honestly, yeah. on, on Collateral Gaming for a change. You know, I mean, ga- gaming is still something that's important to me, so I like to talk about it from time to time. Hell, most of my YouTube... Uh, Consumption is gaming-related as well as movie-related, so, you know. Hell yeah, yeah. Glad to have you, you know, be... I'm glad that you agreed to to take on uh, a little bit of a bigger role here. Um, but it just turns out that a lot of the games coming up, I've, I've you know, been things that you've been interested in, things that you've suggested, you know, for example, this game. Oh, yes. I mean... Yeah. But uh, we're, we're going to talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake today, but first off, uh, for the uh, part two episodes of our show, I'd like to do moving forward, since in part one we kind of have a new segment. Uh, I'm thinking about having a little segment where we talk about what kind of, what games we're playing. Like, All right. What, what, you know, what, are, right. what are we kind of playing in our personal lives? I think it would be an interesting segment for the new show. So, uh, Bo, what have you been playing lately? Well... Other than the Final Fantasy VII remake, I also played a little bit of Final Fantasy VII going up into of the original one and everything. Um, but, I mean, most of my uh, game playing is usually getting on my PlayStation Classic, turning on uh, Auto Bleam or a RetroArch, and just kind of cycling through different games. Like, I mean, I, I kind of have some uh, files on Resident Evil 2 that I need to get to. Like, I already played through the first uh, scenario, so... Fuck yeah. Yeah, I, I need to get back to that scenario. But sometimes I'll just kind of put on a random, you know, beat 'em up arcade MAME ROM and just, you know, play through it just for the fuck of it, you know? Fuck yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've done that a little bit, you know, when I've been over here hanging out with you, so I, I know what you mean. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Awesome. Awesome. Well, see, I have, you know, also been playing, you know, quite a bit of Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, I actually sort of... uh have almost finished Final Fantasy VII. I said I'd have it done by this part, but, uh, man, there's just a lot going on in my life and a lot of other games that I'm playing. But um, I actually beat Emerald Weapon and Ruby Weapon. Little little update on that. Excellent. Hell yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, guys, I beat Emerald Weapon and Ruby Weapon. You just need a really good Materia loadout to do it. And, you know, level your characters up, grind. I mean, I think Cloud was level 99, and, and I had the HP of all the characters that were participating at, at 99, and a lot of Knights of the Round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't even want to try to uh, take on Ruby Weapon until you're at least in the 80 to 90 uh, level range. You yeah. know, not, not, you don't even want to try him. Yeah, really. at least level 80, but it just turned out like just trying to level up certain materia like Knights of the Round and shit like that, uh, trying to get the Master Magic materia beforehand. Um, you know, and I was just grinding up at the Northern Cave still, and yeah, I, I just I just ended up leveling up my characters quite a bit, and it was fucking awesome. So I've been playing quite a bit of that. I've been playing a lot of uh, Resident Evil 2, actually, lately. Uh, Resident Evil 2 remake, the the original Resident Evil 1 remake. Yeah. Been kind of put, uh, playing those in preparation for our RE2 slash RE2 remake episode. Yeah. Another thing, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a plug for one of my favorite gaming YouTubers. He... Uh, not only does he do uh, lots of like Gmod and uh, horror maps and everything and horror mm-hmm. games, he also does a little bit of urban exploration, and that's the librarian. He he's really awesome. I I watch his I watch his stuff to go to sleep, even honestly, to tell the truth. I mean, I, I, that's my nighttime YouTube uh, background noise. So I, I've watched a lot of his stuff. Like uh, he just recently did a uh, playthrough of that one game, Faith, which is like this. Uh, it's made to look like an Atari 2600 game, but it's a straight-up horror game and Fuck everything. Yeah. So, yeah, ch- check him out. He's really cool. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, that's that's basically what I've been up to, uh, Resident Evil and Final Fantasy VII, I guess. A um, little bit of Final Fantasy IX in preparation for the Final Fantasy VII episodes. I uh, started to get into that one a little bit, and yeah, even dove into some of the mobile games. Oh, yeah. Honestly, you should really try playing Final Fantasy VIII here pretty soon. It's kind of a sleeper game. Yeah, yeah, you know? I, it's on my list. Um, I've also started playing a little bit of Final Fantasy XV, and I can definitely see aspects of the open world of Final Fantasy XV that could be incorporated into the sequel to uh, to Seven Remake, which is Seven Rebirth coming out next year. We will talk about that later, of course. But yeah, I've been playing. I've been playing a bit of Fifteen as well. Uh, there's a mobile version that's out if you kind of want to try it out and see what it's like. But the console version is a really pretty cool combat system. I like the semi-open world feel, and I can see some of those open world aspects being incorporated into the next game, but we'll we'll talk about that. All right. <laughs> so, but I guess let's go ahead and let's get into Final Fantasy VII Remake because I think that we've got a lot to talk about. We had a lot to say about the original game. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had a lot to say about it. I mean, because the original game is just such a complex narrative going through... You know, spanning like three discs and everything, mm-hmm. and there's like many twists. You know, including that twist. You know, that scene. We yeah, all we exactly. all know what we're talking about here. Um, but here with this game, it's a much more self-contained story, kind of based around maybe the first quarter of the first disc. You know, mm-hmm. mostly in Midgar and everything. Like right before you go out to Calm, and you get the whole uh, story with Nibelheim and everything from Cloud. Right, so Final Fantasy VII Remake is actually specifically, uh, not even a remake, I would argue it's a reimagining or a reboot of the Final Fantasy VII franchise. Reboot actually sounds like the succinct term here, because, I mean, there's a lot of deviation from the original storyline here, which we'll get into because that kind of plays into how, 
mm-hmm. you know, the, the relationship to the uh, previous game, to the original Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, exactly, because there's a whole sort of, of meta commentary going on that's really interesting. Uh, we watched a video by the completionist on it, actually, that uh, had, had, had a few good points. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that. But yes, Final Fantasy VII Remake only covers the Midgar section of the story, which is roughly the first five to ten hours of the original game. Oh, yeah, and they managed to really stretch that five to ten hours like really, really well here. Yeah, into a 40, 50-hour experience you know just playing through the the game normally the the first run through yeah yeah i mean the the setting of midgar is so iconic that i mean just the fact that this game really expanded on that setting and really just kind of you know gave it more detail gave it more life i mean that's an achievement unto itself you know and that's some that was the one thing that i was like the most excited about when rumblings of this game started to come out, you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, Midgar itself was a character in the original game. Now it is even more so. Yes. So it really feels like these characters have come to life in this game. Like they've been fully realized in um in, in a and in high definition space. I mean, God, the character designs are awesome. I mean, we're actually working with outfits that are essentially just very minor variations on their original Final Fantasy VII outfits. Very minor. Honestly, I don't really see much of a difference in many of them. No, I, I mean, don't as well. I mean, Cloud reality. looks exactly like I would expe- have expected him to look like, you know, just more in real life. Uh, and in fact, I'd argue that the Final Fantasy VII Remake does a really good job of, uh, of taking a game and, you know, even though we're working with the same medium, it, it, it's almost like we're seeing a television version of it, like a Netflix series or something. It kind of feels that way a little bit, you know, going from chapter to chapter and everything, you know? Right, and and with like, this game actually feeling like the end of a season of a, of a TV show, you know, like, in a lot of ways, because you know that there's more coming, but this also has its own self-contained story arc. And the Midgar section of the game actually makes sense to do that, because let's say that this game is going to be a very linear experience to tell this part of the story. Well, now that opens up the other games to once we've gotten past this this one part of the game that feels very different you know we can kind of open it up a little bit more and that's definitely one route that they can go yeah i mean especially in sections like uh, shinra headquarters and everything i mean the, the way that they reinterpreted Sh- the uh actual corporate headquarters building of shinra it's like uh, that was a really impressive redesign to get to see all of the like the workers of shinra the people who are just ordinary people that yeah. work there yeah, and, and you know, Tifa even kind of, you know, comments on that a little bit yeah. and everything. We get some other scenes with those characters as well. I remember, you know, towards the beginning of the game, uh, Barrett gets into it with a, a Shinra, like, middleman, you know, just, just a regular, like, what is it, a middle manager, I think is what they said? Or? Yeah, middle management is like, oof. And this guy just goes off on a like the widest tirade I think I've ever imagined, and I'm just sitting there like you are saying this to Barrett Wallace, motherfucker. It's like exactly you're saying this to the Barrett Wallace, <laughs> a black man. I mind mind a you, a black man. Exactly. How are you gonna say that shit to a black man? How are you gonna say that shit to a black man? Also, can we add that Barrett is just just the, the levels of chadness that exude from this man oh, i mean he yeah. it is just it has gone from being you know just one of the best characters to i think in my opinion the best character in this subseries i fucking love barrett he's such a fucking chad he gets even more chance to shine in this game i like barrett but i'm gonna tell you what 
I think that you know Yuffie is the ultimate character, the breakout <laughs> character. I mean, you know, from the DLC, like she yeah. was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually, unfortunately, don't have a PS5, so we don't have a way to play the remake Intergrade, uh, but we are going to be talking about that and addressing it. We watched uh, a playthrough of it because, I mean, man, Yuffie is, uh, I agree. I mean, she's, she's kind of best girl, It post Jesse, of course. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just like uh, I just like her attitude. Like, yeah. like she exudes confidence, and that's uh, some something to be said for someone that young and everything. And also, you know, the the relationship we have with, uh, with Sonon. It's yeah. like, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and so Barrett is just is just a whip, oh, uh, uh, the same character, you know, just examined under a microscope, given more time to shine. And the same with Yuffie, the same with Cloud and Tifa and Aerith. They're all the characters that you know and love. But like I said, you know, it's like they've been fully realized. Like we're getting aspects of the characters that you know just weren't possible in a PlayStation One game. You know, despite, you know, surpassing some of the technical limitations of its time. Yeah. I think that that's really emblematic in the relationship we get between Tifa and Aerith, which mm -hmm. is, you know, very much like we actually see a friendship blossom between these two. And th that's why I'm kind of glad that they're not really going for a love triangle thing here like they did with the first game. Mm -hmm. They are. They are. It's very much a part of the game. In fact, there's a couple even like rivalry instances between the oh, two. Well, maybe I didn't get that far into the game. You know, maybe that's why I'm saying that. But you know, it it doesn't it doesn't feel like that more so than the original game. You know? Yeah, because something that the original game just talks about, which is these characters' relationship with Aerith, including Tifa's, and so it's implied that you know there was a bond here. We just we never really got to see that. We sort of just imagined what happened in between battles and walking across the world map. You know, we kind of envisioned these scenarios, and I'm really excited to see some of those come to life in the next game. But yeah, I love that we actually did get some of that. You know, the Tifa and Aerith. Uh, Barrett and Aerith, obviously, for story reasons, don't really get that much interaction. Yeah, in either game, just due to the way that the story is structured. But I mean, we even do still get those moments. And yeah, especially I love that they took the time to develop a Tifa Aerith, you know, kinship because you know, like I said, there are a couple instances in the game where they play that rivalry sort of thing. They before the characters really get to know each other. Yeah, there's hints of that kind of jealous attitude, but they really kind of downplayed it a little bit i want to say from the original you know these characters like you said you know they've gotten more time to bond and you kind of see this like sisterly i think there's like a i don't know if it was a promotional work or if it was a fan art i couldn't tell but it, i mean it looked official there was a, an image of uh like like tifa or Aerith kissing tifa on the cheek or something it was just a really sweet moment oh yeah that sounds really sweet and that that sounds uh, and that really tracks you know with the characters that we have here <laughs> if it you wasn't know. official it, it was drawn very now, very well now 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 tifa Aerith shippers calm the fuck down calm down y'all y'all don't need to <laughs> i know how thirsty y'all are for that it's like come on now we do get a chance to also develop the bonds. I mean, there is a, even though we don't get the golden saucer date that we would within the Midgar section of the story, we, we do actually get a, a scene towards the end of the game before they head out to the, uh, the last, like the third act towards the Shenra building, um, which is just nonstop linear action after that point. Yeah. But um, you actually get a scene with the character who you had the highest affection score with. So there is still a hidden affection system in this game and it affects a very special scene that you get that, that you know, may have particular romantic undertones if that's your chosen pairing. Especially if it's with Barrett. 
<laughs> Especially <laughs> yes. with Barrett. Okay, yeah. You also can get a scene with Barrett, and it's a total bromance. I actually got the scene with uh, Tifa in my playthrough because I was going for it. Oh, okay. I see. Because I'm a Cloud Tifa guy. Okay, but I got you. I, I respect all ships. I think that, you know, the, 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 the wonderful thing about both Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII Remake is that it's ultimately up to player choice. Yeah, it can really go either way in this one, honestly. Especially so in this yeah, one. Yeah, especially so. You know, and, and and that's why I'm really excited to see, for instance, you know, the the bond that grows, you know, that the other characters grow with Aerith. You know, because in the original game, uh, we had these moments and then Aerith leaves the party permanently and then that's it, you know, and we never really got to see that or explore that as much. And, and you know, in this game, that could change. Definitely. And especially the uh, the intimations that, you know, fate is being completely bucked here, you know? Right. And that, you know, there's like maybe now a diverging timeline. Right. So since we're on the, the, yeah. the subject of the story, I guess let's get into that. Because this game filled throughout our moments of the story that, you know, uh, upon the first time you open the game, it just seems like kind of just a... a an updated view, you know, like looking under the game under, you know, under under a microscope, giving the production quality that comes with today's gaming industry. But then things start to change. You start to notice, hey, that was a little bit different. That actually may have a, a, a different implication later on. And, and then you start to notice that there's these this additional plot element, the whispers of fate. Yeah, the whispers, that was actually very compelling. You know, right. especially when you first see them attacking uh, Aerith. Right, which is very early on, but you're not far enough into the game to really know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. But the whispers, you know, actually signify any part in the game where a major deviation is about to happen. Yeah. Because the whispers appear... Uh, there are spirits that were sent from the planet, as we later learn, that actually are, are meant to ensure that the course of fate is not altered. What's altering it, we're not, we, we still don't know. It's a big unknown, but clearly we're in danger of creating a, a, a separate timeline. Yeah, or they're in danger of, you know, kind of following the events of the original game as well. There, right. That's kind of intimated there. Right. So, you know, events, you know, the whispers are there to set them back onto the course of the original path. I mean, we're, we're working on a new timeline since some minor alterations have been made. But, you know, it's not until the end where the characters literally fight fate. Mind you, not completely willfully doing so. It was kind of more of a we have to get, to, you know, we have to stop Sephiroth sort of thing. And so we have to do this. But they literally fight fate and break free from those chains. Here's here's my little theory about that. I think that it's a death of the author thing. It's basically them fighting against the original intent of the original game in a way. You know, right. and the, the, the way that you know uh, the original d director intended it. Because I mean, like for instance, take Aerith's death. Aerith's death was actually inspired by the real life death of the uh, director's mother. You know, right. so so now that's kind of being thrown into a different context now. You know, and maybe that's what the fate is. The fate is the original storyline that they're fighting against and the original intentions of the original creator. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this game, uh, like we mentioned earlier, there is a sort of meta commentary going on. There's a there's an analysis. There's a there's a got you. You know, you know, that the, the, it's changing right now kind of thing that the game is 
um, as having with you the player and, and with itself. Yeah. And, you know, that really just comes full force by the time you get to the end and you realize that, okay, no, things, the game is acknowledging that we're in a separate timeline. This is in-universe happening. And, and so when it's a reboot, it's like a... It's like a Star Trek film reboot, like what they did with the 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 J.J. Uh, Abrams films. Yeah, yeah. But we don't know exactly what the cause of it is. Is it time travel or what's going on here? We're not sure. I'm actually excited to see where they get into that in the future, but I like that conversation that they're having. And by the end of the game, that comes full force because now we realize Aerith may not have to die. No, she might not have to. The, the trajectory of her path has been changed. It's been altered. Right. And, and and by a very key scene, which I'm not sure we should really bring up and spoil or anything. But this, is a, this is a regular episode. It's a regular episode? Okay. Um, it's, it's the uh, it's Zach being alive at the end, at the near the end of the game, you know? Like, you get that scene from Crisis Core and everything. Right. And then, as it turns out, he survived that wave of, uh, of enemies. Right. He survived that. And so now that, and, and then you have that scene, you know, near the end where, you know, Cloud and Aerith are, you know, side by side. And then you have the image of Cloud and Zack, you know, you know, Cloud being being injured and Zack carrying him, you know, and, and, and they walk, that image walks past them. And it's just like, I think that that's just how all this is kind of converging, you know. Yeah, so it's like we the characters are actually seeing that alteration happening in real time, it appears. Yeah. Because they just defeated the Harbingers of Fate at that point and, and broken free. And there are like kind of these, these flashbacks going on during the final battle, showing you what seems to be a reiteration of the scene from Crisis Core. Yeah. But, you know, instead, after they we defeat the, the Harbingers and after we defeat Sephiroth, now we see that events have changed somewhat, and there's even actually a hint that this may be going on in an alternate timeline because there's a, there's a part where the camera just sort of pauses for a second, and slows down, and really spends time as a banner of a stamp mascot. You know, this this dog mascot that appears throughout the game. They almost make it into kind of a subplot point yeah. during uh, one of the reactor missions, and um, yeah, you see this this stamp mascot except he's a completely different breed of dog like completely different color even right right yeah this dog looks nothing alike it's a completely different breed and so we and then they spend a moment to kind of focus on that that the time actually slows as this flyer flies in the wind in front of the camera while zach is is uh moving forward you know all of the shinra soldiers defeated yeah so you know it, there's I don't know exactly what they're hinting at there, but it, I almost want to say like maybe even that's an, a, a separate timeline from the two we know already. Probably, yeah. I, you know, it's it's unknown, but for some reason, our party becomes aware of that, and you know, especially Cloud and Aerith. Aerith has actually has a tie to the live stream, so it makes sense for her. But now even Cloud is getting in on this, this these visions that are going on. So it's like, I mean, what is the planet? What is the ultimate end game for the planet here, you know? Well, and the planet itself becomes, you know, a kind of an antagonistic force here. An element that was, mind you, in the original game with the weapons coming out. But we get to see, you know, another aspect of it where, you know, we're even starting to wonder whether what we're doing is right. Should we be altering the course of fate? Because ultimately the end of Final Fantasy VII is what allowed the, the, the world to survive. And if we if we alter that, are, is it possible to still save the planet? 
Yeah. I mean, there, there's those few little flashbacks of Meteor hitting the planet, you know, and that, that that's basically what the original timeline was supposed to end at, you know? Right. But now, the one of the questions that I have is, like, how aware of how aware is Sephiroth of all of this, you know? Sephiroth is actively def- uh, trying to defy fate himself. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of where this gets a little bit confusing because... You, you fight the Harbingers of Fate, and then you fight Sephiroth. Of course, Sephiroth makes an ending appearance as the boss in this game, and the way they incorporate that into the story is awesome. But uh, we'll, we will talk about that. But what, what I like is that right after that scene, we Sephiroth actually, after, the, after that final boss battle, Sephiroth actually asks Cloud if, to defy fate with him. And Cloud refuses, and it's like, well, you kind of just did. Yeah, totally. You you just did, and I think that Sephiroth knows that. Right. He, he knows that in that moment. And and what's interesting too is that right after that, you know, Cloud attempts to battle Sephiroth. That's actually just a cutscene at this point. We've already defeated him in battle. Well, it's actually a reference to the uh, ending of the original game as well. It's that final uh, Omni Slash battle with. Uh, with Sephiroth, but even that is completely altered by this point. Well, we're not there yet either. We're only, you know, maybe a third through the story. And and so... Well, that, that, that that's what's interesting about that, is that it's taking that part, scene from the end and bringing it all the way back to this part of the story. A little bit of yeah. it. It's like we get a little sneak peek, a little preview of what's to come, but Sephiroth doesn't access any higher forms, and what's really stands out here is that Cloud and his party are not equipped to fight Sephiroth yet. Remember that in the original game, right after the Midgar segment, and what we'll probably see demonstrated in the next game is the part where we see how outclassed they are by Sephiroth. We see him, you know, effortlessly impale a Midgar Zolom that was you know honestly kind of a mini boss fight for the party at that time that you had no chance of winning yeah yeah and so you know it it obviously the party should not be equipped to fight him at this point and yet they overcome him and then when cloud attempts to fight him in that ending cutscene sephiroth effortlessly sends cloud's sword away yeah. and and disarms him and so you're left to wonder was he really toying with us all this time probably I mean, Sephiroth was always portrayed as a very cunning antagonist, you know? You know, he, he was always, like, a few steps ahead of everyone, you know? Did he use the members of Avalanche uh, and Aerith to defeat fate for him, to defeat the Harbingers? That's very possible, you know, because <laughs> that, that tracks for Sephiroth, you know? You know, having puppets, you know, do his dirty work, I mean, even in the original game, that's kind of what happens, you know? With all the uh, reunion motherfuckers, mm. you know? Like I mean, those those are puppets for his uh, for his getting the black materia and everything. Right, you know? right. So Sephiroth is actually peppered throughout the game quite a bit more this time. Yeah, he comes up pretty early in the game, actually. Right. So in the original game, Sephiroth was a very slow burn during the original portion of the game, during the Midgar section, which, by the way, itself is maybe only half of what's considered Disc One. Yeah. So not not even half. But I want to say Final Fantasy VII is very front loaded. And that's kind of why, you know, developing an entire third of a trilogy on just the Midgar section actually kind of makes sense. Yeah. But I'm digressing here. Anyway, um, I love that we actually do get a little bit more Sephiroth. I mean, that might, it might have been one of the more controversial choices because, like we said before, Final Fantasy VII sort of built up Sephiroth, talked about him a little bit towards the end of the Midgar section, and then finally opened up with him, you know, with the calm flashback and whatnot. Here, he's actually seen... We don't exactly know who he is. We don't get all the details, but fans of the original game are 
obviously going to recognize him and wonder what's he doing here and you know we're kind of unsure of what we're seeing is a hallucination or whether what we're seeing is really going on yeah it's very boggling and you know finally we see sephiroth actually play an active role in events you know once we get to the shinra building which sephiroth was there in the original game yeah, he was. I, you know, he was the one that killed uh, President Shinra. But we, we didn't even really see him then he, either. No, he'd already done the deed. In this game, we actually get jumped to, you know, Cloud at his party jumped to actually witnessing uh, Sephiroth do the deed. So maybe they're outrunning Fate a little bit by this point. They've gained some steam. And so, you know, they actually end up facing him in combat after the motorcycle, after the G-Bike segment, after defeating the, you know, the boss that I think was called Motorball or something in the original. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just called like Motor in the remake, but it actually, it's turned into a, uh, they turned that boss fight into a motorcycle fight and it's actually really cool. That is really badass. I saw the sequence and, you know, it has all the elements of that original motorcycle uh, fight and more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really awesome. Yeah, they actually give you two sections of that. So early on in chapter four, when you go plate side, and an additional mission that was added to kind of pad out the game, and and we'll we'll actually address that as well. Yeah, <laughs> but um, then then later on, you know, the part that you expect when when uh, Cloud takes the Hardy Daytona out of the Shinra building and goes down the expressway, and then we get to that boss fight. Yeah, uh, Sephiroth actually, you know, encounters the party, invites them to come. You get a last chance to equip your your party uh, material, your items, and everything, and then move through. Yeah, and I mean that that final, I mean the final sequence. I don't know. I didn't really see a whole lot of it. Honestly, yeah, no, no, because uh, I mean, you only got partway through the game, and we kind of watched some videos to yeah. to show us what was going on. Uh, but yeah, it is actually definitely a very, very awesome sequence. Um, just everything going on is is incredible, and you, you really by this point of the game, you're not really sure how it's gonna finish. Yeah, and then the the last, you know. The last like thirty minutes to an hour of the game is like just this nonstop, just barrage of action, practically a boss rush almost. Honestly, the last like third of the game, to be honest. Yeah. You know, like like the third act of the game is all just a linear progression of from chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter, and then you know, like you said, yeah, the the, the final like. Uh, I don't know. It probably took me like two hours to get through all of it. Is just like you said a. A gauntlet of bosses it's the harbingers there's like five or six battles of it i remember by the first time i played through it i was i was you know almost to the end of that fight and then everybody in my party is dead except for Aerith, who's my dedicated healer and i'm trying to get just a little bit of time so that i can i can heal her yeah and then heal the rest of my party. One of the two, actually. I, I attempted multiple times to, you know, either heal Harith up or resurrect somebody to heal her up. And every single time the boss would interrupt my attack. And it was just infuriating. And then eventually she died and I had to start the entire thing all over again. Ah, damn it. I hate that shit. Yeah, so a lot of the game is actually about, you know, setting up your characters correctly, like in the original, giving them the right materia combinations, because that system is very much intact here. Yeah, they. I, I really love how they pretty much left it, like, untouched, you know? Like, it, it re- it's really a testament to how, you know, how on point the original materia system was in the original game, 
that, you know, it could still, you know, transcend, you know, different generations and still be just as use, just as useful and just as varied as the original. Right. So in the materials, uh, the materia now are, are have actually under retranslated or re- relocalized names. So they're a little bit different from the original, but you'll know exactly what you're dealing with. I mean, uh, uh, which we call it the restore materia is now called healing materia, which actually makes a lot more sense. And yeah. what was called healing materia in the original game, which was really more like cleansing or restoring is now called cleansing materia. So, you know, a lot of the names actually, uh, uh, get kind of I, th- I think a, a better more direct translation of what they actually mean but they're the same spells and abilities that you knew in the original game so you actually have all of the spells based on what materials you've equipped but also every character has a, a set of abilities that they can use in battle yeah the ability system and how the battle system in general works was really intriguing to me because you know of course you have that atb you from the original game i mean and i felt that that was the most important thing that made this feel like the original by right. the way. And I mean it still has the real time elements but I mean it also you can also stop the game and kind of strategize a little bit, you know? You can kind of s- cycle through all your characters like choose, you know, choose which ones to heal, you know, assign uh, each one to do a specific spell or a summon or whatever. And then you can have a pretty much Cloud just being the bruiser, just going around and fucking, or even like Tifa going around and just fucking enemies up. You know, it, it it was actually really, really good. It had a good flow to it. You know, I, Honestly, loved, I liked it. It does. I mean, so let me reiterate, or if I haven't made this clear, Final Fantasy VII Remake is a completely new game. It is actually, it is a remake is actually a very poor description of it. It is not a remake. It does not actually reuse anything from the original game except for the story, which has been abridged and is now existing in a new timeline. So, completely shatter your expectations. This is a brand new game that, while staying true to the spirit of the original and reutilizing some of the most important mechanics of the game, has been reimagined from the ground up. We are taking a pseudo turn based RPG, you know, in a very, very classic Final Fantasy style, we're turning that into a modern, you know, action RPG, more similar to what you'll see with some of the later games in the franchise, like 15. And so this is a real-time action RPG, but what they've managed to do, and I love also how like Final Fantasy XV did it as well, is they've actually managed to to give you some of that turn-based feel, mirroring some of those elements. And I think they've done a phenomenal job here with with that with Final Fantasy VII because while you're hacking and slashing characters in real time, you're building up your ATB gauge. And once you build the ATB gauge, just like in the original, then you have the chance to perform some attacks. So, But instead of that being the only way to perform basic attacks, which you're now doing in between those buildups in real time, uh, you're able to pull off uh, more powerful attacks which are or, or other types of abilities, and you're able to, to use spells or items at your discretion. And so there is still that element of waiting for the gauge to fill and then pulling off your strategy. In some ways, it kind of almost feels like the gameplay of a in a Tales game, you know, like Tales of Symphonia or whatever. Yeah. It kind of has that feel. Like, that had a very similar system to it, honestly. Although, you know, without the ATB system. Right. But I also really like how, you know, how the uh, weapons system is here because you actually have these cores and you can actually you know build up each individual weapon to a different level and everything you can like have different status effects you can have a different uh 
a new materia slot, you know, it can help you get your limit breaks uh, faster and everything. And you can pretty much just customize it. And to me, that's almost kind of like uh, the Final Fantasy X uh, leveling up, it, you know, that was like that grid based type of uh, system. Mm, okay. You know, it's like it's kind of similar to that, but for weapons. And, and what that does is it makes each weapon, you know, still have a use for it. You know, right. So, like in the original game, and uh, and this is echoed in you know a lot of JRPG fantasy type games, is you'll you'll pick up a weapon and that replaces your pre replaces your previous weapon. You can discard the old one. There's no need for it. In this game, no, there is actually 100% a use for going back to old weapons and utilizing them because they're all going to play to different strengths and especially once you upgrade them, they all have a different set of perks. And it's even worth it to check out really old weapons that you may not have thought to use, you know, for several chapters because, you know, that those weapons level up over time continuously throughout the game and they all have their own unique uh, experience pool. Yeah, it's an interesting layer to the gameplay and it's also an interesting way to, like, you know, affect your stats, you know, and that's how you grow new materia slots and everything. But, I mean... You, you could pretty much just use Cloud's Buster Store, build it up the entire game, and be fine. Or you can uh, pretty much be a more completionist and just try to, uh, you know, level up every weapon and get them all up to where you can have you know, different applications for different fights and whatnot, you know, and different bosses, right. different different areas and everything. Exactly, exactly. And what's nice about it is that even while you have a weapon equipped, all of your weapons gain that uh, experience, which is called SP in this game. So you can still go back and check other weapons, compare the stats, and like you said, develop a strategy around uh, the, the boss or, or enemy type that you're facing. And that's really nice. I love that they do that. I love that, you know, there's a reason to go back and use the Buster Sword or, you know... To, to if you wanted to like with cloud you can buff him more towards his like physical stats with weapons like the iron blade or the hard edge or more towards his magical stats with weapons like the mithril saber yeah i mean that's kind of how i'm playing him right now i'm pay i'm playing him as more of a uh kind of a bruiser type uh, a brawler more or less but then have more like long range magic type so that i can take care of long range long range uh enemies and everything like you know, like like those uh, those enemies that you know they climb up on the wall and everything. The, right. Yeah, it's like I mean that's kind of how I'm setting him up. And then I have right now I just have Tifa. Tifa is just more of like a, a fast, you know, get in there and just fuck fuck the enemy up really quick. You know, like right. She, she's she's more of my speed character. Yeah, yeah, no, she definitely fits like the monk archetype. Yeah, uh, and you know, Barrett's just a tank. Who can who can absorb all all types of damage? You know he can he can just sit there and, and take it kind of more geared towards physical stats than magical, but uh, he's also a powerhouse and can deliver some of your more powerful attacks. Not not to mention that he can also do a lot of long range attack with his because uh, he has a gun type weapon and everything. So yeah, he could take he can also take care of uh, enemies that might be a little bit outside of his range as well. So yeah. that's actually very useful. Right, and Averith, of course, actually is is kind of designed like in the original game as a dedicated healer type, but somebody who has you know quite a bit of competences in it in any magic role, and so you know you kind of have these characters that I think even more so embody the archetypes that they're geared towards in Final Fantasy VII, but there still very much is that element of being able to customize the characters any way you want, especially with Cloud, because like in the original game, you know. Uh, you can kind of build him up anyway. In your case, you know, you can build him up as a bruiser. I built him up as a spellcaster because I just like magic. 
So, you know, it just kind of depends on your play style. To an extent, all of the characters are that way, but especially Cloud, just because he just has all around good stats, like in the original. <laughs> uh, we we have the gameplay playing right now. We're at uh, Cloud and Jesse's little moment here. Yep. It's like, aw. Like, I like how they really took the uh, original Avalanche cast and really expanded on them, you know? Biggs, Wedge, and Jesse. Yes. Okay, so that's one of the bigger, you know, additions to the gameplay is that in addition to the combat system being completely revamped and just having a new way to, to you know, explore the action, uh, the exploration. Um, within certain chapters in the game, like Chapter 4, Chapter 9, Chapter 14, uh, there are sections where you're going to be able to... Uh, actually explore uh, parts of Midgard. So the game sort of switches to more of an open map format. And especially when you get to chapter 14 before you head out to Shinra building and, and that's the point of no return. Um, you you kind of have these moments where you can use, for instance, the Sector 7 or the Sector 5 slums as sort of a, a hub. In fact, that's why the Sector 7 slums play the Final Fantasy main theme, which normally doesn't play until you get to the world map. Yeah, yeah, and, and that makes the most sense with a game like this, you know, because, I mean, those type of uh, game maps are a bit of an outdated mechanic now, you yeah. know? E- even though, to me, it makes uh, it makes Final Fantasy VII kind of, or Final Fantasy in general, Final Fantasy, you know? Because, I mean, a, a lot of the uh, earlier, like, advancements in... Uh, in uh, graphics were in a lot of those games where they used, like, Mode 7 on, uh, on SNES to kind of create... Uh, more of a 3D uh, looking mm. plane and everything like like you see that in Final Fantasy 3 like the actual 6 in Japan and i mean the the original uh, world map i mean it, it had its charm you know i mean it it definitely had its interesting little corners and everything but here there's just no need for that you know it's like especially when you could just make this expansive world you know like we are able to do in gaming nowadays mm-hmm. you know it, it 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 just really did not need that, and having a hub it makes the most sense. Right, and, and the game is still very much linear. It, it's a, it's a chapter based game, um, but once you get to the post game and you can select any chapter, that actually opens up a lot of possibilities of exploring this this area. But you know, even peppered throughout the game, like I said, are these kind of more open segments where you get to kind of see what life in the Sector Seven slums is like. Which really emphasizes, you know, the tragedy of the plate falling or the tragedy that we end up uh, averting somewhat in this game. Yeah, because uh, Aerith actually uh, instigates an evacuation of the Sector 7 slums and, you know, you get to play that scene this time. We actually get to see that. In the original game, we didn't see, uh, it was originally just, she just got Marlene, you know. But this time, she actually helps most of the people of the Sector 7 get, get the fuck out of town before right. the plate collapses. Right, a, f- a full-scale you know, evacuation. And so we actually get a little bit of hope. And so there are some major timeline alterations being made. But even in some of the parts of the game where things aren't expected to change or haven't changed quite yet, like between the two reactor missions, I love how they open that section up. And, and they give you a chance to explore the Sector 7 slums and to even get to know the uh, avalanche... Uh, members who are, by the way are actually uh revealed in this game to be an extremist cell of avalanche yeah yeah they're actually a splinter cell from the original avalanche who are just not based enough apparently they're basically the based avalanche they're, they're actually yeah yeah they're the based avalanche they're they apparently they were too based for the the rest of the avalanche organization who who do make an appearance but i, I love how that distinction is made and so um but anywho you get to actually n- 
know some of the members of Avalanche, including Jesse. And so Jesse actually gets to be the best girl that we knew she was in the original game. Oh, totally, man. That's exactly the personality I kind of thought that she was going to have, you know? Jesse is best girl. And of course, she's thirsty for for Cloud. Oh, so thirsty. Like like to the point where he's almost annoyed by it. Yeah. But we also see, you know, his his exterior, you know, shifting just a little bit. You could actually make it the decision to uh to agree to go to stay with her at her house for pizza. Which, yeah, pizza. For pizza. Pizza, yeah. Just for pizza, right? Just for pizza. Yeah. No, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yep, only for pizza. <laughs> so anyway, and that actually gets brought up during her death scene, making it all the more heart-wrenching. Aww. Uh, you get to spend some more time with Wedge and with Biggs and, and, and learn things about their characters. And Wed, Wedge just kind of looks up to Cloud and yeah, just has this relentless optimism. Uh, Biggs is actually just an all-around fucking awesome guy. He really is. I mean, you really get to like them a lot better than you did in the first game. Right. You know? And Biggs and Wedge end up surviving maybe as well. So <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Hopefully. Well, it looks like, yeah, no, 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 they both do. Yeah, so they're both okay at the end of this game as a major change. So I guess is Jesse just going to be the Aerith of this game? Is that is that what's happening here? Yeah, I guess so. I guess <laughs> she's, so. She's, she's the actual Aerith? You know, I'm almost wondering if they're actually going to set up a, a major character death. But at this point, it's like, really, the only way you could do that is Barrett or Cloud. And they kind of already toyed with us with Barrett in this one. Yeah, they did. Hardcore. Like, Sephiroth straight up stabs him, but the... The whispers re- resurrect him, right? The whispers resurrect him, showing that you know his his fate was not preordained. So actually, working for helping them at that point yeah. in the story, which was you know nice. But they start to wonder, you know, hey, f- you know, this is the future they imagined. We don't know what the fuck is going on, but apparently, I'm not supposed to die here. Yeah, apparently not. So, and then that's actually before the uh, the the uh, or is it after? The uh, the yeah, it's after the Genova battle that you go through. There's a Genova battle. Ooh, Genova. See, I haven't gotten to that part. No, yet. no, no. It's before. It's before. Okay, I got it's you. Before. Yeah. So right before, yeah, Derek Barrett goes down. You think he's dead, and then you fight Genova. And I think it's like actually a hallucination or something made by the by by the real Genova huh. or by Sephiroth. I I need to replay through that and kind of watch it again because there's just a lot going on. But yeah, they included a Genova boss fight because they have to. Yeah. You got of, course, of course, you have to. I mean, Genova is pretty much the uh, other antagonist of the original game, and I mean, and, and even in Advent Children, you know, Genova's uh, Genova's cells uh, make it into the live stream. Mm-hmm. You know, so Genova is still uh, important there. Right, right. So, Cloud, you were a soldier first class, right? Yeah. Weird. Really? What's weird about it? Nothing. Just that you were the same rank. Huh? As who? The first guy I ever loved. Oh. Wow. Uh. Your eyes. Yes. Aerith is an ancient. Probably the last one living. You know you're not just any little girl. You're a descendant of the Ancients. You're wrong! I'm not an Ancient! When we're older, and you're a famous soldier, if I'm ever trapped or in trouble, promise you'll come and save me. Sephiroth. Soldiers? 
I'm sick of this. I'm sick of all of this! I've never been so proud. Women must be hounding you day and night. I'd really love to stay and chat, but we gotta go. So soon? Got more pizza in the oven? I'll take another wedge! Looky here, boys! Burglars! Tifa! I'm coming for you! Viciously! Without mercy! Until they vomit blood! You seek my approval, do you? I should warn you. Huh? Tails, you lose. Give it back. Give it back. Are you going? I'm sorry, honey. I wish I didn't have to. Shinra has confirmed the reactor to be the target of the bomb threat. Shinra's decided they ought to stamp them out! The sky is falling, and Avalanche is to blame! But I work for Shinra! I'm the enemy! I don't care! Greetings and welcome. Avalanche, I presume. You mean you're not here to give President Shinra his comeuppance? I've also drafted a re- That will not be needed. Huh? Two words, Reeve. Neo Midgar. Come on! Let's push it past the red line! Stop them, you fools! Don't let them escape! They're going to drop a plate on us? Yes. Whispers. Perhaps best described as arbiters of fate. No, you don't! Not when I'm working! I promise you will regret this. The sector in which you stand has been condemned. You're a soldier, aren't you? Which, of course, would mean that I own you. Through suffering, you will grow strong. Isn't that what you want? Come on, you see the piece of shit we driving here? Says the 300-pound sack of it. Hey! Freedom. Vain indulgences everywhere. Every time the whispers touch me, I lose something. A part of myself. Tonight marks a new beginning. For Shinra! This could well be her last line of defense. Let's go. Let us defy destiny. Together. Cloud, there's still so much to be done. Yeah, I, I like that, uh, you know, we, we get all the, despite the fact that we're only covering the Midgar portion of the story, we get all the beats that the original had, right? You know, we have, you know, the character death, the female-female character death, I might add, that is felt, you know, by the party, the kind of sad moment towards, you know, in the middle of the story, despite the fact that the same event happened in the original. But we also get, you know, the Sephiroth boss battle, the Genova boss battle. Yeah, we, we pretty much uh, get all of that kind of moved 
moved into this part of the game, you know, the, the Which, feeling of the like feeling a, of it. Yeah. Yeah. And also like the feeling that the world map evokes or that a, you know, a hub evokes giving you, you know, that that sense of familiarity to so where you, you, we know that you would normally get to this point of the game, but it wouldn't be Final Fantasy seven without this. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely yeah. not. Right. So and it makes me even more excited to see what they do with the game in the future, because, I mean, they can honestly go with it a couple different ways. They could continue doing exactly what they're doing, making each each town on the game just more of an open format. And just still have the same chapter-based system. And when you get to the specific towns in the game that are more hub-like, they would kind of use that and let you move throughout it. Or, hear me out, we add some of those open world aspects semi-open world aspects that final fantasy 15 did and you know obviously we're not going to go back to having a world map but just give you the whole open world to explore oh yeah i mean that'd be really cool if they do that you know maybe in the like the third installment like actually allow you to really just go back and just explore everything just like the original game within the scope of the original game is is what i was about to say next so within the second game we would probably be the part of the game up until you get the high wind i'm imagining and to where the game is somewhat open yeah is the illusion of an open world but it's still locked behind specific modes of of progression And, and the original game does a really good job of masking its linear nature doing that i could see that being done in the remake but actually giving you that map to kind of explore and you know and actually be able to fight enemies have a bunch of side quests going on at once let you kind of uh move you know hey maybe we can go back to calm and do this and yeah, you know that now. Okay, now there's a side mission over at the Chocobo Farm. You know, I, I'm just seeing the 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 aspects of this. We we could just as easily implement a simple fast travel system between towns. Therefore, during one of the open sections, you could still access the the game. But I could also see them just giving us the entire world map as a fully imagined on you know grounded map. That that could be a real possibility. I I, I could see that. Either way could work because, you know, you, you can implement a fast travel system that Remake incorporates that's actually, you know, c- could be locked to the progression in the original game and still maintain that fail or you can go balls of the wall with it. <laughs> now, here's a little bit of speculation that I want to get into. Uh-huh. Chocobo racing. What do you think? Chocobo breeding. How do you think that whole dynamic is going to be put into the next game? I think that that's going to be, like in the original game, like a, a side quest that you can go in and have a little bit more to do within that section of the game involving the, the Chocobo breeding, probably. But how, how do you, uh, I'm kind of speculating, how do you think they would expand on it? Expand on it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we could do different types of uh, uh, of Chocobos, but I think the, the the really cool thing to think of will be like what riding chocobos is going to be like around yeah, the map. The, the actual riding it around the map and also the actual racing because right. that was like one of the most memorable side elements of the original game was breeding chocobos and then taking them to race mm-hmm. and everything. And, and honestly, I would love to see that utilized in its own unique way. Yeah, yeah. The, the chocobo breeding uh, side quest. Uh, is something that usually you actually save for, you know, kind of more the towards the end of the game. Yeah. If you're applying the, you know, approaching the game strategically, but if you're playing it for the first time, you start whenever. And I would love to see how that gets incorporated into the next game. Oh, definitely. You know, yeah. ba- based on uh, where they go at it with the story, and then like you said, also how they can expand on it, and you know, make. Uh, I know there is a port of the game where chocobo racing is required. So maybe actually tying that into the story a little bit better might uh, benefit. Possibly so. 
You know, and they tied it into the story originally, but it's it's a very very short segment. Like I would actually like to see it kind of uh, kind of expanded, and also you know kind of you know maybe have its actual own little backstory right. even. You know, because we we do get uh, Chocobo Bill, right? Or what is his name? Uh, Chocobo Sam is a Chocobo character Sam. in this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, he's actually one of the the guys under Corneo. Yeah, yeah. That whole section of the game is is expanded on, of course. You know, yeah, you the, these... the, the whole wall market scenario with whole wall uh, market with, with the dress with getting a uh, getting a uh, cloud into the cross dressing thing. Yeah, and there's dancing now involved in a Corneo Coliseum where you can fight <laughs> swaths of opponents and come back and you know sort of grind there as well. Yeah, I guess that's the uh, alternative for the uh, combat zone in uh, Golden Saucer in the original game. I think so. I think that's a stand-in for that, yeah, all, as well as the Shinra... Battle Square, that's what it's called. Battle Square, right. As well as the Shinra combat simulators uh, and the, the VR fights that you can do with Chadley. Yeah, that's a whole nother thing is Chadley and how you can get certain types of materia from him by using Assess and actually, you know, helping him with his research. Right. So assessing different enemy types, which is what uh, sensing is called in this game. Um, I like that the Assess materia actually does something when you level it up, unlike the Sense materia in the original. can actually assess all enemies at once, and then you can continue to actually uh, view that inside into battle, and it's a lot more detailed. In addition to being able to get things like the enemy stats, uh, like as far as their HP and their MP go, and their um, and their weaknesses, you can also see you know kind of a strategy on how to defeat them, and then you can uh, even take a look at the moves that they'll, they're going to use against you. Yeah, it's a very useful uh, side quest to go on, you know, because, I mean, you can, it helps you strategize against certain enemies. You know? Right. If you're following, if, even if you're just like me and you're just assessing every new enemy type that you come across, something I did in the original game. So it, it was actually even cooler to be able to, to you know, re-reference those and uh, you know, access them in the menu and that actually be, you know, count towards the completion of a side quest line. In addition to that in Chadley's side quest, you can also, it's also deals with battling uh, different types of enemies or dealing certain types of damage, utilizing your materia, mastering all your magic materia. And also, it's how you uh, mainly obtain summons, right? Right. So, some of Chadley's uh, quest lines that you can do, or, or part, you know, part of his his main uh, mega quest line, you might say, is the ability to fight the summons in the game. Uh, so they give you the first summon, which is Chocobo and Moogle, and they give you Ifrit. But other than that, every other summon in the game that you use, you have to face in combat first in VR. So you have to defeat Shiva, Leviathan, Bahamut, the fat Chocobo. Now what's interesting about that is that that might be a little bit of a mechanic from Final Fantasy VIII because that's how you actually obtain summons in that game. You, okay. actually, have to, you actually have to fight the summons in order to... Uh, to receive them and those are actually some of the more challenging fights of the game in this game as well they're actually among the most difficult boss battles in the game hands down uh, and i've heard bahamut who i haven't faced yet is the most difficult boss battle pretty much the uh, ruby weapon of this game i think so i think that that, yeah. that is the ruby weapon uh with uh leviathan maybe being the emerald weapon because leviathan <laughs> yeah. is also hard as fuck and i did beat that one <laughs> yeah definitely so yeah i like um I love that that you actually get to face the summons, and the summons actually play a more active role when you use them in the combat system. Uh, instead of just making one attack and then fucking off, they actually stick around. They fight autonomously as AI-controlled characters, and then as your ATB gauges fill up, any of your characters, not just the one that summoned it, can actually use a summon ability, and so and then and then the summon will actually finish 
their encounter with their massive attack, usually the one that they used that, in the original. That makes me really excited to see later on in this story how Knights of the Round comes in. Oh, I'm so excited, I dude. really want to see that. Because Can you imagine having all 12 knights as separate summon abilities when you open that menu? Holy shit, that would be amazing. Yeah, and each one could have like a different elemental attack. Each one can have different strengths and everything that you can apply to a different boss battle or whatever. It's like that. That would be amazing. Actually. Make that one overpowered as fuck, and make get the only like because right now all the summons have like two abilities that they can use. But make Knights of the Round the one that just has fucking twelve, and the only one that has nearly that many, and just go balls to the wall with it because it's an overpowered summon ability in the original. Yeah, I mean that was like an instrumental summon to get if you wanted to beat any of the weapons, like if you even want to have a chance. Right, and it's how I beat Emerald Weapon and Ruby Weapon is cheap tactics involving Knights of the Round. Well, so. you, you kind of have to with those two bosses, honestly. You got to go in with real cheap tactics because they are not, really cheap bosses. We probably won't see it until part three. I don't think so either, you know, because I mean, well, remember how the weapons were in relation to the original story. That was that was the planet actually, you know, defending itself. Right. So I mean, we're not to that point yet. I don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, say like we won't see Knights of the Round, and we all, we won't see Ruby and Emerald Weapon, of course, either. But we won't even see Knights of the Round probably in the next game because that's that was the most powerful summon in the original game. Yeah, it's very doubtful we'll see that. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. the most powerful summon in the next game is is just one of the Bahamuts, either Bahamut Zero or or um, Neo Bahamut. Yeah, Neo Bahamut was fucking awesome, dude. Neo Bahamut was cool, but Bahamut yeah. Zero is actually the most powerful form. They might save that one for the third game. I don't know. Uh, but we got most of the like the, the early game ones, the elemental ones, and I'm actually excited to see which ones get incorporated into the next game. Uh, so, some other materia that ha ha has seen some changes. Uh, there is, of course, the all materia, which is now the magnify materia. There's only one in the game. Materia do not duplicate when you master them either. You have to buy new ones. Some of the materia are not available for purchase. You just have to find them in the story. And again, with element with uh, elemental, you get like two of them. You know, with warding, which is the new added effect, but it works a little bit differently. Uh, you only get two of them, but with magnify, you only get the one. So you have to decide, you know, do I want to be able to heal all my characters at once or do I want to be able to uh, hit all of the enemies weak to thunder at once? Yeah. Ice or fire. Yeah, yeah. So it, it does that definitely add a different element of strategy, but it also kind of makes sense with what you would work with in during that section of the game. You probably maybe only, only had one or two all to work with at that point. So it, it actually kind of tracks. Uh, the warding material is interesting because it's added effect but only on weapons. So the elemental material works exactly like it does in the original game. The only difference being that you only have two of them, but you would only maybe have one of them at that point in the game anyway. Uh, but, but added effect is weird. It, it, it actually, it doesn't matter whether you equip it to your weapon or your armor. It only applies the effect to your armor. It only has the defensive effect. So there's no way to add like poison to your weapons or, or haste or, or I mean, sorry, or slow or stop or anything like that, which is kind of a bummer, but whatever. Yeah, I would like to see more utilization of, you know, status affecting materia. It probably game, was too honestly. difficult to implement with the way that the combat system works with the, kind of the hack and slash element. Pro probably. You know, yeah. in between ATB gauges. So, you know, it, it's kind of like how would you, it would be harder to implement that like every strike inflicts poison damage or something like that. You know what I mean? But I think that they could definitely work it out if, if they wanted to and kind of improve that in the next game. In this game, they kind of just focused on a few different aspects of it. Um, 
the steel material still is in the game. You know, like I said, we get the SAS, which is very similar. Yeah. Um, none yeah. of none of the like most like game breaking materia are available, so you can't make those like. Or I'm sorry, none of the most powerful material in the game that give you the most game breaking, you know, combinations appear yet. So <laughs> Yeah, they they are kind of balancing the materia system out rather well here so far, you know. Probably even more so than the original game. Yeah. And some ways. new materia as well. I mean, we get some things that actually kind of more affect the the way that this game works, like the parry or deadly dodge materia. Yeah, that's actually a good uh, a good addition to the materia system. Mm-hmm. I, I I like it, and it and it does kind of uh, does kind of help when you're uh, facing multiple enemies or one larger you know boss enemy and everything. So, and by the way, there is there are only six slots of materia that you can equip on any weapon, uh, and those do increase throughout the game. So, like even if a certain weapon doesn't have uh, enough materia slots, and you end up switching to one with more, if you go back and check that weapon after you've upgraded it, or you know after it's gained a level, so that you can you know you can un- access more perks, you might find that a new materia slot is something giving that weapon you know an edge that wasn't really viable for you before. But anyway, uh, the weapons can only have a max of six, and then armor only gets up to a max of four. Hmm. So that's interesting. Materia distribution, you know, towards the end game is is definitely a more prominent element than in the original game. But I mean, as the game sort of expands, I think that we'll have the ability to have as many materia equipped to our weapons and armor as in the original. Now, I remember in the original game, they had specific items that could actually increase specific stats. I mean, in some ways, if you got enough money in the original game, if you had enough gill and you could go to shops and buy that, it, it was almost kind of a game-breaking thing in and of itself because you could just constantly feed you know, your character a certain uh, item and it'll like increase your luck, it'll increase your strength, your magic attack and everything. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's a, a mechanic that they're going to drop in, in this game and in, and in future iterations, it's. I mean, they don't have any of like the sources in this game, and there's no morphing for yeah. those sources or whatever. Yeah, there's not really any way to just to just build your character stats. I mean, we do have accessories that are going to affect stats, and we even do have some uh, passive material that will do that. Yeah, there's one material that actually just doubles the rate at which your other the material that's linked to it doubles because there are no double or triple weapons in the base game. I think Yuffie has a double weapon in her DLC. Yeah, but yeah, but and actually, your exp and your AP all double or triple in the post game. Oh, okay. And when and if you and also after the post game, you can you're gonna need it because uh, with all of that, you know, capped out uh, experience, which which the level caps out at fifty in this game, uh, and with all of your mastered materia uh, are gonna be necessary. Hard mode eliminates the ability to use items, hmm. and also okay. you don't replenish uh, MP at benches anymore. Uh, one of the aspects of that in this game is that there are these benches that work, you know, kind of like ends. They instantly restore your HP and MP, but they're free. But the game's difficulty kind of compensates for that. I mean, they're actually there, I think, to balance the gameplay. But anyway, uh, in hard mode, the, the benches don't. So MP actually becomes a scarce resource, and you have to find ways of utilizing the material you have. Because when you play through the game in hard mode, it's new game plus. You have all the materia and, and levels and everything that you had in the normal game. So there's just an added challenge. And so if, if you want to play through the game again, there's a completely different experience. You actually approach hard mode differently. Your materia set up and everything is going to be different, and the enemies scale up with you. Interesting. And there's also a classic mode in this game, right? Yeah, actually. So if you uh, 
you can you can choose when you play the game for the first time to play an easy, normal, or classic. Uh, classic actually locks the difficulty e to easy, which is the only reason I wouldn't use it more because it actually sounds kind of fun. But it makes the uh, the experience a little bit more like your classic Final Fantasy VII gameplay. Your characters will actually attack, dodge, and block automatically. Things that you can all do in real time in the original game, or I mean, sorry, in, in the remake, are going to be done automatically for you. But you can actually take control of your character at any time. But the character moves and attacks and etc. on their own. And then once your ATB gauge fills up, then you can you know use an ability or a spell or an item like in the remake. So it kind of adds a little bit of that that feeling of the original of just waiting for the gauge to fill and then doing something. Yeah, I mean, that actually appeals to me quite a bit because, I mean, I, I like the hack and slash elements here. It's just that that's never been my favorite RPG uh, you know, mechanic. I've always preferred the original turn-based style of JRPGs. So something like that, I mean, that kind of appeals to my old-school retro gamer, you know, uh, aspect. I would you know? use it more, or I'd at least consider a playthrough of it, you know, if I hadn't, if it didn't lock the difficulty to easy, like the combat difficulty, which kind of sucks. But I, um, I, I do think it's a, it's a really interesting way. I found that though it's just and like just adapting to the combat system and approaching the combat like you are. I approach the game like I do the turn-based RPG. I look at my ATB gauges, I wait for them to fill up, and I strategize based on that. And what's really cool is that not only can you control the, you know, do that for the character that you're playing as, but you can also control the characters even when you're not switched to them. The other characters in your party are going to be AI-controlled while you're not in control, but you can issue a command without switching the reins over and, and allow them to pull off uh, a more powerful attack or spell or, you know, heal you with an item or themselves. So, yeah, in that respect, the uh, the regular battle system is kind of similar yeah. to the original. Yeah, And I there are some that. new commands, you know, for characters that aren't geared towards uh, spell castings to be able to heal themselves or other members of the party. And, and so it actually allows you to to have it, like, you know, just... There are, there are just a larger amount of strategy involved now. And, you know, if Classic Mode allows you to better, you know, to more easily access that system, that's great, but... You know, I recommend just kind of jumping in and 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 learning the 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 combat as quickly as you can because, I mean, you're going to be watching the characters do the hack and slash. You might as well do it, you know, and just not and just like I said, approaching the game as you would the original. That's how I did it, and I had a great time with it. And I enjoyed being able to issue commands out to other characters. You know, kind of, and, and every time you, you open the menu up, time freezes or, or slows down tremendously. So you do still get quite a bit of that feel. Yeah, you could still sit there and strategize and plan out, you know, what spell you're going to use, what ability, you know, like, I mean, we haven't really gone into limit breaks here. Like, how does no. that actually work? So limit breaks are cool because they actually don't depend on your ATB gauge. Limit breaks just build up like they do in the original by taking damage. And then once you acquire enough damage, you can use the limit break and it actually doesn't expend any of your ATB. So each character actually only has two limit breaks. They have their original one and then they have one that will uh, that, that's unlocked kind of similar to the way that the level four limit breaks are in the original game. You actually complete the Colosseum and you get the items that teach you those limit breaks. And then there's also a refocus limit break that's a materia you can use that's just kind of a uh, an ATB building ability. But anywho, uh, the, the limit breaks... Like I said, there's only actually two per character, and they utilize, uh, that means only a couple of, of the limits that they use in the whole game. But a lot of the other limits have actually been uh, downgraded to abilities now that are just 
and I say downgraded, but you can use them, you know, more quickly. Like Cloud's classic Braver is his most basic ability that he can use. And the Force Thrust as well. The, yeah, the, that, that, that's kind of uh, from the original. Yeah, yeah. His level, yeah. His, his second level on Limit Break is actually his Limit Break, his original Limit Break in this game, uh, Cross Slash. Yeah. Uh, some of the, the limits have actually been uh, retranslated, so it's hard to tell if, if they're the same. But uh, Tifa's, uh, her, her unique ability... One of her hack and slash abilities, her triangle ability, is actually, uh, I believe, the same uh, name as Beat Rush, her first limit break. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Or or at least one of the abilities that she can use. I, I forget. But, yeah. Or I think... I, I forget how it works. Either <laughs> either her ability, Unbridled Strength, is Beat Rush, or one of the attacks after she uses that is. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so each character also has their own unique play style, which is really cool. You know, each character is going to attack differently. Cloud, you know, can come get up and close. Cloud and Tifa can get up and close with their sword and their fists, respectively. Uh, but like you said, Tifa is going to get a lot more closer and build ATB more quickly. Uh, Cloud's unique ability actually, you know, uh, revolves around his his capability to switch stances to where you're going to have a more hard hitting combat stance that can instantly counteract attacks whenever you defend. Um, but is also a lot more slower, and you can't jump up in the air. And then you have your, you know, your fast, more well-rounded style. It's like operator mode and punish mode. Yeah, right? operator and punish mode. Yeah, you know, whereas uh, Tifa kind of has this weird ability that works with her her main ability, unbridled strength, uh, that revolves around her just using more powerful attacks. But she has more than every other character does. Um, Barrett has kind of a, a, a ATB recharging mechanic with his you know, his, his unique ability. Aerith has sort of a, uh, has kind of a more just charge attack, just a stronger attack that she can use. So, I mean, all these characters actually have unique play styles, which is really cool that revolves around uh, their basic attacks, their unique abilities, and then what abilities are present to them that you can expend ATB to use. Yeah, that's an interesting, that's interesting. Yeah. I also like that every weapon that you gain in the game uh, provides a new ability for the character to use. And once you use that ability enough times, you build proficiency with it. And now that ability can be equipped onto other, uh, can be used even when you have other weapons equipped. Not dissimilar to the way that abilities work in Final Fantasy IX, actually. So I actually really uh, enjoyed that. And, you know, every time you get a new weapon, you're inclined to use it at least to unlock that ability. And so you could try it out, see if the weapon is something that you'd want to use. And then after you've mastered the ability, you can go back to what you were using before or level up another weapon, you know, and, and to make it more viable for you. Right on. Uh, before we conclude, let's talk about the music in this game yes. and how that is actually utilized as a little bit of a kind of a side quest in its own right, I guess. Yeah. So um, the music, by the way, the soundtrack is phenomenal. They took the original themes from the original game, and they're just fully orchestrated. They sound so much better. There's even some new original themes that very much fit the aesthetic. Uh, I particularly like the the theme that plays during the end. Hollow Skies uh, is used as kind of a Sector 5 slums theme hollow, and it's it's really nice. But But I really like what they've done with the original tracks and just expanded them. I think in our last episode I said that there are some of the original version that I like a little bit better. Yeah. But for the most part, I think that the the remake really improved on it. I mean, I've, I've just been listening to this soundtrack, you know, in, in my daily life when I just want to put something on. Oh, it's a phenomenal soundtrack. Like, I mean, the original is so phenomenal. I mean, I still kind of jam the piano version of the uh, of the main uh, 
world map and everything, you know? I, I, I kind of play both, but like, like I said, yeah. I like, like the, the battle theme in this one is just so good. Oh, man, and the boss theme is a lot thrashier. It has a, it has some heavier guitars to it. And th- there, there's even like some straight up like like some metal here. There's some more hip-hop ver- versions of these songs even. I mean, it, it's it's interesting how they took and they remixed everything. Yeah, and then you mentioned the side quest mechanic that's associated with it. So you actually can collect uh, several tracks of the game, uh, including some of the tracks that play in the game, and then also just some reorchestrated, you know, kind of more uh, uh, jazzy or hip hoppy versions of of tracks from the original game that you can play as music discs. And and finding and, and buying every single one of those is actually a side quest throughout the game that is kind of actually fun. Every time I went to a vending machine and I noticed that there was a, you know, a music disc available or I talked to a character who where music was playing and you could got the little indicator, you know, it was actually fun to kind of track those down and you can go to jukeboxes and play those. I mean, there's even uh, some guy that gives you a free one early in, on in the game. There's a few of those, yeah. There's a few of those where you get like a kind of like a free demo track, sort of. Yeah, freebies. Yeah. So I, I actually really, really enjoyed that. And so actually you get some of the tracks that wouldn't come at this point in the story, like Costa del Sol or um, the the, uh, the Chocobo theme or... Yeah, uh, yeah. Ketchy's theme or... or Yuffie's theme or, the, you know, shit like that. It's actually yeah, I mean, really Yuffie, cool. Yuffie's not even in the game yet, I mean, other than the DLC, and you're already getting her theme and everything. Yeah. So, that yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, that, that's a really interesting kind of uh, collectible thing that yeah. you can do here. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, on the topic of the DLC, because we might as well bring it up, I we, again, we didn't get a chance to play it, but I really like what they did uh, with incorporating Yuffie's story into the events of this game. So it's kind of like what she was up to and could easily have been what she was up to in the original game, even if this weren't an alternate timeline, because she I don't think at any point she ever does meet the characters of the original game. So they're setting that up as, you know, this happens exactly, you know, they're still going to meet Yuffie later in the story. It's just kind of a, a, a Yuffie side quest. And it's awesome. I love it. It's just like, what, three or four chapters long and well, roughly. Yeah. Uh, she's the only playable character during the uh, duration of it. She kind of has like a like an AI controlled character who you can direct to. You just they're passive. You can't directly control them um, with her. Who can like synergize with her attacks? And she has a whole, her own playstyle that revolves around being able to throw her shuriken and also be able to u- utilize uh, like ninjutsu. Yeah, I I really liked you know the way that. Like, like, like the way that she was able to better interact with the environment and everything because of her ninja abilities and everything, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, there, there's like that one sequence where they're setting up those uh, those metal bars and everything and they're doing the ninja run, you know, that classic shinobi style ninja run on the wall and everything. Yes. Like, I mean, that, that was really cool to see. And also how she's able to throw her shuriken. Is yes. Like, that was really well well made and that that made for, uh, made for some puzzle solving elements even. Yeah. Right? Yeah, some puzzles, something. You know, um, so there's a little bit of that in the main game as well. There's a portion of the game where you switch to Barrett for a little while. Uh, and it's just kind of in addition to what, you know, Barrett was, would have been doing during this time that we wouldn't, we didn't, you know, get to play as him or an expansion of that. And it, it's it's really cool because you actually get to kind of utilize his gun arm and, and, and do things that Cloud isn't able to do. Yeah. Because uh, during most of the game, you know, like in the original, during, when you're not in battle, you control Cloud and that's it except for the parts of the game where you control somebody else. 
Uh, Red 13 does show up in the game, but he's a completely AI-controlled character. In fact, you can't even give him commands or anything. He's just kind of a fourth guest character, so it was cool that he's there and part of the story and to fight alongside him, but I'm looking forward to his full playable status that, you know, inevitably going to come up in the next game. And he was always such a fan favorite as well. Like, people really love Red 13. He's such a cool character. Yeah, and he has his own really awesome backstory and everything. Like, like when you realize that, you know, he didn't have a great relationship with his father, or at least a great idea of what his father was like, you know, and how that's revealed that, you know, his father was actually a hero and everything. Like, I mean... I would like to see how his storyline actually unfolds. I'd love to see how they expand on it because they, do, they could do some some DLC that could actually go into like maybe how Red Thirteen came into the possession of how Shinra came into his possession. You know, yeah, like, I, that would be interesting. I think if a character's going to get a DLC expansion, that would probably be Vincent. I would imagine so. I would actually be really cool to see Sid. Uh, have especially because you know depending on where they decide to cut the story at he may not become a, a, a part of the playable cast i mean red 13 and yuffie are dead ringings for new characters that are going to be introduced yeah obviously vincent was always an optional character in the game but i i imagine he'll still make his way into this one and i think yuffie will will make it as not just an optional character but i think they're going to change that to where she's no she looks like she's pretty integral to the plot because it seems like they're really like making Wu Tai a uh, greater part of the overarching overarching story. You know, between the struggle uh, between Avalanche and Shinra. I mean, Avalanche and Wu Tai are actually collaborating. Yeah, that's the entire reason that Yuffie is there. Yeah. So I uh, yeah I, I love to actually kind of explore that, especially since they started to in the the Yuffie DLC. I couldn't care less what they do with Ketchi. It was kind of cool to see him actually show up here during the Plate 7 fall. Yeah, you actually see his reaction to that and his just sort of just defeat. And I actually liked what they did with Reeve as a character in this game. Actually made me appreciate... Well, Ketchi is Reeve. Right, so it made me appreciate that whole... the the character a little bit more from that sense. Yeah, you only get a little bit... You only get a little bit of an inkling of you know, Reeve's character outside of Kate She in the original game. So seeing it really expanded upon and seeing that he's actually a pretty, you know, stoic, straight up guy with some good morals and everything, you know, it's like, I mean, it made him more compelling. And I don't know who maybe it'll make Kate She a little more sympathetic this time around. Reeve is definitely playing. I mean, we actually get to see his open, um, his open uh, d- dissatisfaction and and his regrets about working with the Shinra Corporation, which is really nice. I think that's going to pay off later. We also get to see quite a bit more of you know some of the Turks like Rude and Reno, and uh, they actually have fully fleshed out characters here. I think a little bit more so, kind of I think tying in a little bit to what we got to see in Advent Children. Yeah. So, which is nice. I, um, I would I would posit song that, as well. I would posit that the the Turks were probably the best part of Advent Children. The Turks are yeah, they they were yeah. really the best part of that movie, and we really get to see them shine a lot more in the remake than they did in the original game. Um, even even though we don't get to the point where the, the Turks are as much of a story element yet, I mean, during the moments that they do show up, they're just like again fully realized. Uh, some of the other Shinra bigwigs are you know like Heidegger, Scarlet. Uh, and uh, Palmer all show up and play bigger roles at this point of the story than oh, they did. I, I love that they made Palmer as repulsive as he is in the original game. It's like, no, he he just looks like a 
like a piece of shit. Heidegger is still just such a bastard. Oh, fucking Heidegger, that asshole. Rufus gets gets a a pretty cool. uh, His boss battle was fucking annoying as hell. God, that dude just. (laughs) I'd imagine so. In the original game, he's actually one of the easiest bosses. He's a pushover, but in this game, his boss fight was fucking irritating as hell. Jesus Christ, really? Yeah. Yeah, dude, did, I did, died did he, so many times. Did he also have a Shinra guard dog with him? Yes. Oh, damn it. And the guard dog, it has they have a whole unique mechanic about the way that boss fight works. I mean, the enemies are just approached differently and have completely new strategies that revolve around, you know, how susceptible they are to physical versus magic attacks. Something that was in the original game, but it's like there's this whole new mechanic with pressuring and staggering enemies yeah, that plays that, into it. Yeah, I mean that 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 actually is once again makes the battle system a little little more seamless to get into. Yeah, you know, try to like throw in all these things that, that like I know we have to mention. <laughs> I know, right? Like, well, there's a lot of stuff to this, even just this game alone. Either one you know? of these games could have easily been two part episodes in their own right. E- easily, easily, honestly. Um, and I actually am excited about doing. I think we should do a let's play on both of them at some point. We totally should. I am totally down. I, yeah. I'm totally down to sit and just do just a straight playthrough, you know, maybe not a whole lot of grinding, you know, yeah. just grind enough to get your levels up and then just, you know, progress the story. Bo, you actually grinded through this game. I, you know, this game- I've been grinding like a motherfucker in this game, and I like the grinding. Uh, I like how seamless the grinding is. I like it. Yeah. there. Uh, you know, grinding is more limited to certain points in the game where they allow you to do it. But once you get past the opening scroll, like pretty much any chapter, you're going to have a point in the game where you can sort of grind and enemies are going to respawn, I think. Yeah. And that's nice. You know, when you're in kind of more of these open sections of the game, especially you have an opportunity to to just sort of wander around and do whatever you want when you're in in some of the less uh, story driven chapters. Yeah, you even get there's even points where you can even uh, choose whether to actually progress the story or not or if you just need to get some stuff done, maybe there's some side quests you still want to do. Like you can uh, you can have the choice to do that. Yeah, exactly. Cuz those side quests are relegated to the specific portions of the game. So it's good that they give you enough chance. And like I said in the post game, you can go and revisit any chapter. Uh, like in the original game, there are choices to make that are going to affect uh, certain scenes within the story. Uh, there's a whole mechanic around uh, Aerith, Cloud, and Antifa's, like, what outfits they wear, what dresses they wear during the Corneo segment. Yeah. Uh, There's, like, three different uh, variations of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, each character has three different uh, uh, dresses that they can can, uh, wear based on actions that you took earlier in the story or within that chapter. You know, the whole, like, like, take the elevators and fight everybody versus climb up the stairs quietly is a mechanic whenever you get to the Shinra building, and and that's fun because you can get this... You know, just like in the original super humorous scene of them walking up the stairs and just being completely exasperated and Barrett just <laughs> fucking hating it the entire time. Uh, or you can kind of fight enemies and get to see a little bit more of uh, of what it's like moving through the Shinra building. I I remember that, you know, the Shinra building actually has some good grinding points in its own right as well. Yeah. Like c- certain floors, like floor 62, f- floor 63. Like, I, that's actually a good place to really gain quite a few levels, uh early on in the original game. Yeah. And the Shinra segment of this game is just is just so much fun. I I love what they what they did with it. I mean just Again, you know, the, the general layout is the same. Even the whole mechanic of acquiring a key card uh, authorization in order to move up to the next floor yeah. is, is all in place. And it's actually fucking awesome. And they even took characters like Domino, the mayor. And, oh, and he was cool. I liked him. The mayor? Yeah. 
is the best. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just so many characters that just got more fleshed out in this game. It's awesome. Johnny, who's voiced by my my favorite voice actor, I think Yuri Lewenthal, the voice of Sasuke Uchiha, as well as uh, Spider Man in the in the PS4 game. Yeah. He plays Johnny, who was a character from the original game who just crops up at different points, but was just a very, very minor supporting character. Is still a supporting character in this, but he just kind of serves this comic relief, and he's he's part of some of the, the side quests in the game, and he's really cool. Awesome. Awesome. Some characters uh, mentioned, I think, in like novelizations like Kyrie uh, show up in this game. And so they, they really, really uh, just... It, it's a love letter to the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, and I'm really excited to see what they do with the sequel yeah definitely definitely well i guess let's sort of get into our our final thoughts here i'm i'm thinking that i will definitely look forward to the next game just based on what i've played i mean i really like how they just completely you know decided to do a different thing with the storyline you know Mm -hmm. i mean just just how they really adapted it because that in many ways that's what this is it's an adaptation right if not an absolute reboot and everything i mean the battle mechanics are great the grinding is uh, fun Mm -hmm. you know i mean the characters are wonderful and they even expanded upon in many ways you know like we said with the aforementioned relationship between tifa and Aerith. i mean and also yuffie is the best she's absolutely (laughs) the best she's a legend She's yeah. the legendary Yuffie. But I, I've enjoyed it so far. I've enjoyed everything here. And, oh, is there a dart mechanic in this There's game? There's a dart minigame in the, be- in the bar. Oh, hell yeah. I'm going to totally... Is there a billiards game? No. Oh, they should have had billiards in this. That would have been perfect. Yeah. Or remember that there was a pinball machine in the original? Mm-hmm. Pinball machine's in here, and uh, some of the other members go downstairs. But funny enough, in this version of the of the timeline cloud never goes downstairs with them interesting he kind of stays up uh, upstairs which i guess makes a little bit more sense given his relationship with avalanche that's tenuous at best during this part of the game actually avalanche fires him barrett decides not to have him on the next mission um but he goes on this kind of uh, secret mission with jesse and uh and, and then uh, i think uh like Jesse and or Wedge end up be getting uh, out of the equation, and so uh, Cloud is rehired. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, they actually kind of, uh, they do a little bit of that uh, back and forth. But yeah, uh, I have to echo, I think no matter what you loved about the original Final Fantasy VII, I think is accounted for here in some fashion, if not expanded on. Yeah. It's like no matter what it is that you loved about the original game, you're sure to find here in some capacity, perhaps even better implemented in the original. And I want to stress that I think that these are both games you need to play. They're both completely separate games and both need to be experienced to, to fully be fully realized. And I think that you can kind of go about it in either order. If you're somebody that played the original and you want to play, you know, an updated modern reimagining of this, you can. And there's a lot in it for you. But you can also start with this game, you know, kind of get introduced to the world and the characters and then go back and play the original, get the rest of the story. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's the best way to go about this, you know. I mean, Final Fantasy VII, it's just had so much expansion on, on its storyline and, and throughout the years with the movie, with all, all the compilation stuff and everything that, you know, it might be a little bit daunting for a first-time uh, 
for a first-time player of this uh, franchise mm-hmm. or this particular, well, I guess we can go ahead and call it its own franchise now. Yeah, practically, it, it's actually considered one. I mean, I I would say it's a it's a sub franchise of its own right. You know? Practically, yeah. And I mean, I I really I'm really looking forward to see where they go with it. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what they do in the next two games. You know, are we going to continue along this this trajectory of just awesomeness of of appealing to fans of the original while also doing something completely new? Yeah, you know, and and I imagine that while the second game will probably follow most of the major story beats because they're still on that kind of path. I kind of feel like the last game is going to be where they go to balls of the wall and the setup is completely different to what we remember in the, in the, in the, Oh yeah. They're, the, they're going to diverge a lot from the original. There's no doubt about that. I think that, yeah, this is kind of the hint that things are going to diverge. The next game is going to be like where things shit really diverges. Yeah. It's going to be completely different. I, I, I really yeah. imagine that's going to be the case here. Um, some of the new characters that were, that were introduced, like this Roche character, who's like this, this bite character. He I mean, he's being set up for an appearance in the sequel uh, we're watching it on the screen yeah. right now but man god final fantasy 7 remake just captivated me i could not stop playing this game and i you know like i said even Bo, who he's just a, a big grinder he found a way to play that way in this game you know you can really just approach your reapproach your childhood memories from a, a new perspective absolutely absolutely hell yeah but Anyway, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or feedback on your platform of choice. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Collateral Cinema as well. I'll give you a moment to, to plug your shit, Bo. Uh, yes, we are starting the uh, new season of Collateral Cinema here very soon. In fact, we're, going, we're probably going to record the first episode tomorrow. Yeah, we're doing a little blitz of uh, podcast recording this week. Uh, we're going to have uh, Miss Juliet Miranda from the Unrivaled Rant podcast uh, on that episode. That's going to be really interesting. Uh, and then the next episode after that will be the Monster Squad. We'll have Robert with us on that one. And honestly, this is going to be a fun season of Collateral Cinema. I agree. Th- man. This is the fun season of Collateral Cinema. The fun season. That, that's what I'm. I'm kind of billing this as. You know, like. Maybe this time around we didn't get into a lot of really hardcore cinephile stuff, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll kind of get back into that in the following season. But honestly, I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, you can find us on the same social medias. It's like, give us a please give us a five-star review on Podchaser, Good Pods, and on Apple Podcast so that we can help uh, climb the ranks and everything. And also, we are diving into our Patreon a little bit more often than we've done in the past we're we're trying to kind of push and promote that a little more yeah we actually recorded something and, and finally released a patreon content after i don't know i think the last time we were we released something was like 2019 yeah it was a while since we've actually done any commentary stuff you know maybe because just kind of wanted to build the podcast up a little bit build the following a little better yeah. now and now that our following is has expanded a little bit we're going to start really promoting that a little more often so check out our uh full-length feature commentaries of movies like The Buttercream Gang, that's our newest one, uh, The Room, and House of the Dead and whatnot. And uh, our tiers start at $1, and we also have $5 tiers. We, we might get higher tiers as we go along, as we gain more patrons and whatnot. So, yes, please, join our Patreon, become a patron. Like, I mean, we will give you a shout-out on the show if you become a new patron and everything. So, yeah. Check that out and check us out wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hell yeah. Well, as far as the Patreon side of Collateral Gaming does, I, I do kind of want to apologize because we do have one uh, uh, patron, or uh, or we did. We may not anymore. We may have lost you. Oh, no. I'm looking at it now, and it says zero. Oh, no. Did we lose our one patron? Oh, what the hell happened? I believe his name was Robert. What? Anyway... Um, I actually feel kind of bad because we haven't been able to release anything in quite a while and I wanted to get back on track and then I found out my capture card doesn't work anymore. So Yeah, that that was very annoying. The capture card just... A little yeah. bit of a slowdown on the Patreon content and unfortunately I'm not in a position to buy a new one or really anything at the moment. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to be... Well, may- maybe, th- maybe that means we need to do more Patreon content for Collateral Cinema for the time being. Yeah, or you know, or we can we can find a way to put uh, some kind of content on the collateral gaming Patreon. Like like may- maybe we should start uh, offering you know early releases of our episodes on there for yeah. our patrons. Right. You know. Uh, well, and the Patreon content is is basically designed to be able to to, to kind of fund the the podcast. So that's really what I want to do with it. So if you Sa- donate, same same with ours, same same with collateral cinema. Any amount of money, I believe we have one dollar and five dollar tiers. The whole tier structure hasn't been worked out yet, but you donate any amount of money, you get access to our exclusive. Uh, let's play video game commentaries. We've done a few of them. We have a few in progress at the moment. They're kind of more episodic, and. Uh, yeah, almost any of the, like the more standout games that we've done, like I've kind of wanted to go back and do a let's play on. So as soon as we get the equipment, you know, I'm 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 down to clown, and we're gonna get going. I'd love to do, like I said, I've been Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII remake. I think at some point deserve uh, oh, their own. Absolutely, yeah. Commentary. So definitely. Um, yeah, if you want to support the show, I, like I said, I can't promise that we're gonna have anything in the near future but i am going to work on it i'm going to find a way to see what we can record so yeah check it out check out our our patreon content and you know stay tuned we're actually going to be talking about resident evil 2 and resident evil 2 remake coming up in the uh the this month for our spooky month that's what we're what we're putting out for this month and i'm actually really excited to get into that yeah that's going to be really fun yeah 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 yeah, the uh, uh, Resident Evil 2. So, yeah, we're going to sort of make it uh, just sort of a, a, a very similar to what we did with this format. We're going to talk about both games, a little bit about the franchise as a whole. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this upcoming season of Collateral Gaming. Uh, this has been the second part of our season premiere, and I think that uh, so far, man, season season five is going to be awesome. Oh, it is. And, and also season six of Collateral Cinema. They're both going to be awesome seasons. Yep, yep. So, uh, and a little bit of some some extra preview shit. I mean, uh, November, I know we're talking about Stray, and we're also going to be talking about God of War Ragnarok. We're going to be doing the, uh, you know, permitting I can actually buy the fucking game. No, I'll make it work. Um, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be uh, doing kind of a uh, spoiler free for part one, and then in part two we're going to go full spoiler territory. Uh, kind of like what we do with Metroid Dread. We're going to do a similar thing for uh, Tears of the Kingdom, the new Zelda game, the sequel to Breath of the Wild that's been announced uh, toward the end of the season, or actually as our season finale. So, man, we there is just so much that I'm really excited to get into. Uh, excited to have Bo uh, be a part of some of those episodes. And uh, we're excited to share our gaming experience with you. Definitely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hell Yeah. Well, anyway, this has been Collateral Gaming. I'm Ashley Chancellor. I'm Bo Maddox. And we are Collateral Gaming. I just said that. 
<laughs> See you later. Laters. Ba 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 ba. Collateral Gaming is a collateral media podcast. All music and game clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.